I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Mankata. Run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. You see pop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. Nine dread to the fifth element. Very highlight fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. And we're digging in digits on a smooth tip. But we always do it smooth too. That's true. We, we, we part of you smooth. We part of you smooth every week. Very true. Or marmalade. Or, mm. you know, whatever they yeah. can afford these days. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? Let's do this. This week I got into not as many hip hop albums as I did other genres. I listened to the new M83 album, Fantasy, and it's really disappointing. It's disappointing because M83 had a breakout hit. Uh, about 10 years ago now and since that they have just lost everything that made them unique they were doing these really cool remixes before then and that's how I discovered them like turning they were turning the music from the bands that they're now playing they're playing the exact kind of music that they were, those bands were playing they were turning those songs into something interesting now they're just playing those songs it's almost like we need a new m83 to come and remix m83's music to make it interesting and unique again it's really disappointing because i think they have something unique and they've just become another indie pop band and i didn't know what to expect from this uh and it was just you know it's it's quite gentle it's quite like low in the mix it's quite chill uh you know if you remember their earlier stuff like uh hurry up with dreaming it's just quite quite maximal this is not that but uh this is just not it's not the same, man. It's not the same as it used to be. It was a bit disappointing. Not as disappointing as Songs of Surrender by U2. Now, oh my days. I didn't know what was going to happen. Okay, I like U2. You to the chance, yeah? yeah? I like U2. I saw U2 live. You know, I like U2. A lot of people crap on them and say they're just stadium rock. So what? What's wrong with stadium rock? It's, it's fine. There's nothing. Beautiful Day is a great song. Vertigo, great song. Where the Streets Have No Name, these are great songs. What they've decided to do is just surrender and give up like we'll just get like one guitar and we'll just make the most flaccid limp dick version of our songs we ever can and i've read a lot of reviews about this because when i listen to it i'm like i couldn't listen like it's it's two hours and 46 minutes okay they've just redone Whoa. 40 of their songs okay. in, a, in this acoustic way People love this album. People really enjoy it. I don't know, man. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just a crotchety old man, and I just can't. I just I'm not. I'm not vibing with it. I don't think Bono's voice suited these like stripped back. These are anthems, man. I'm. I'm all. Up, I'm all for bands trying to like go back over their back catalog and have another crack at it. But yeah, man, this was just not for me. It was maybe just not for me. I much preferred the Hundred Gex album, Ten Thousand Gex completely all over the place uh i don't know if anyone's watched the movie pop star with um andy sandberg i think that's his name and in that movie uh the rapper i forget the the rapper's name who like he's just andy sandberg's like trying to be cool and trying to make like sell as many records as possible this other guy's just doing like random stuff and everyone just loves it everyone hates the pop star but they love this new flavor of the month guy and Everything 100 Gex does on this record reminds me of that guy. It just all hits. 
it's like so random. You don't, you're not, I've never listened to 100 Gecks before, but like you never know what, where the album's going to go next. And some of it would be cringe in the hands of someone else or on this, not on this album. If it was in just a straight up pop album, you'd be like, oh man, this is terrible. But everything they do here hits. It's amazing. There's like hardcore rock on here. Then there's some hip hop. There's electronic car. There's just like glitch oh man i liked it a lot i really do great energy on that album so shout out 100 gex it's a, it's a solid album it's the first time i've listened to them so yeah i'm very impressed i know mortal orchestra dropped v very 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 chill um indie rock album indie folk album i guess you could call it um i've loved unknown mortal orchestra for a long time but i haven't really like I wouldn't say I know an album of theirs that I'm like, oh yeah, I love that album. I just you just put them on, and it's just chill. It's chill. So I like that album. Check out that album. Uh, ESTG dropped Mad. It's good. Um, I kind of expected it to. I I guess it's exactly what I expected. I I thought there'd be a bit of pop poppy guitar laced instrumentals towards the end, and that is, you know, I think ESTG's uh, strong suit is just energy, like super high energy. Um, there's certainly some emotional bars on here, uh, some storytelling, some narratives, some stuff that's going on in his life that he's been experiencing. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, it's the most emotional album in this vein. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I'm not going to say violence, but quite imperious. Like ESTG is like, you know, above everyone. And you hear that's, that's the way he is. Like he's, you know, the top boy kind of thing. So I, I liked it. I liked the album. The the end got a little bit drifted a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 good. It's it's kind of what I expected. Just bangers. Um, and Lil Pump dropped Lil Pump two, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it uh, straight up. And you know what? I've been I've been absolutely destroying the singles that have come out, like Tesla, and there was some other one that came out. I listened to them in isolation. I'm like, these are just unlistable. I don't know what's going on here. It's just unlistable. But in the context of the album, it's just like crazy slaps and Lil Pump just saying the wildest stuff. And it works for some reason. It works. The, the track with Youngboy, I thought, was the weakest one on there. I don't know why he got Youngboy on to do a ballad song. Like, just, you know, anyway. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, And finally, uh, Princess Nakia, I love you, but this is goodbye. Not for me, man. Not for me. Um, just too poppy, too... Yeah, I know. I'm being so negative this week. I like the rap track. I like the rap tracks on here. I like them a lot. Um, but yeah, it was not what I expected. I just thought we'd get more of a, like a blend of singing and rap, but we definitely had a big distinction between like rap and singing. Um, and the, the singing parts, it weren't my favorite, but the rap tracks I enjoyed. And it's only a little EP, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe uh, there's an album coming. And this is just the, the warm-up. But yeah, very negative for me this week. I apologize. That's me, Charlie. What about yourself? And to think uh, B tried to put me on to that particular project. Um, this is one of those weeks uh, that objectively for me is just like, it was just like lacking. Um, completely dry on my end. Um, I do have one, but I will say this is, I'm, I'm fine. Like, it's, it's part of that. Um, no, I tried to, I said after last year that I was going to like, you know, if there ain't music drop in and I'm not aware of it, that's fine. I'm going to do something else. And I have been doing other stuff, which is good for me. Uh, but this is music. So we're talking about the music. Um, but if you want to hear my thoughts on Ryan Lane, let me know. Um, 
yeah, so the only album I got into was uh, Nick's Northwest's. Uh, I'm assuming it's called Zin, Sin's Disappearance, uh, spelled X-I-N. Oh, Nick's backwards. Whoa, deep. Um, so I really enjoy the production overall. Um, and he, I think, does everything here, um, producing and obviously just headlining every track and stuff. So, yeah, so very... It's him all over, which is good. Um, I'm happy for him that he can do that. And production-wise, is very mellow um, and just super chilled. I really like it as a background listen. And I kind of remembered this when I listened to his 2019 album, Life's a Bitch, I Just Need an Early Night. Funny, uh, great, great title. Um, that's why I came... I think that's what I came out with last time. And the... Not negative, but just the uh, other thing I could possibly say to this album is that I don't know what the fuck he's talking about half the time. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's me just, uh, you know, playing in the background while doing work and stuff. So I'm not exactly like deep, deep, deep listening. You know what I mean? Like just passing over every every bar and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't doing that, admittedly. Um, but yeah, it was kind of just... Um, it, it, it was it's a very just vibes project uh, to me personally, uh, which I'm I'm not complaining about. The the vibes as they are are very good vibes. Um, I highly recommend these vibes. Uh, put stock into these vibes. Okay, um, that is my uh, musical slash financial advice. Put 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 investment. Put put stock in these vibes. Um, but yes, they are vibes that I just uh, didn't really. Um, tried to think about too hard um i wasn't trying to you know dissect any of his uh any of his uh stuff um but you know that's how i listen to that's how i listen to it you may feel different when you listen to it um it's a good feature from any on, on the back end of this as well just to spice things up a little bit but literally the majority of it is him um and i think come here for the production and uh stay for anything else if you get anything else out of it then good for you, but I think the production is just uh, worth the price of admission in my mind. So uh, shout out to Nick's North West. All right, and there we go. Gosh, will we do it? Will will this episode be under an hour? Let's see. We hop into our topic for this episode, uh, which is continuing on our third uh, Women's History Month uh, retrospective, uh, and this is all about Sweet Tea, which is a great name uh, for an artist. I really like the name. Um, but yeah, similar to Miss Melody, and we have one album to get into. Um, one one very intriguing uh, uh, wrinkle when it comes to the music for me personally. But we'll yeah, get I mean, to that when we get to that. But great for name. Ben, what's Start with. A Sweet Tea grew out of the explosion of female MCs from New York. Sweet Tea! Um, Back in the mid to late 80s, uh, Roxanne Chante, MC Light, Antoinette, Salt and Pepper, of course. Uh, she began life as an MC while still in school, performing locally a lot. She actually told an interviewer she was literally doing everything she could to be on a microphone. She was doing school shows, discos, house parties, open mics. And this experience allowed her her first break in the industry. Her friend was auditioning for Davey DMX, who was a DJ and producer who had started a solo career in 1983 with his first track, One for the Treble. Now, his impressive resume as a producer prior to this track 
ensured that that song got a bunch of press and mainstream pull and fueled a semi-successful solo career for Davey DMX. For his next single, he decided to audition for two women to play DMX Girls, and Sweet T's friend was planning on auditioning. Now, on a whim, Sweet T decided to tag along, and she performed something on the spot, unprepared, unrehearsed, and within the day, Davey DMX was on the phone calling her back. She then appeared on the track The DMX Will Rock in 1984, which was released by the independent Tough City label, and this was a big deal. So after finding some success with Spoonie G, the label would actually go on to sign the Cold Crush Brothers, Grandmaster Kaz, and the 45 King before exploding with Aaliyah in 1994. So you know, this was not some local label that wasn't going anywhere. Tough City was a big label. Now, the way that she absolutely skated on such an obscure beat from David DMX was proof of someone that was very, very, very talented. Um, and at this stage, Sweet Tea didn't have a recording career to speak of. She was performing her poetry, as she called it, at open mic nights and house parties. She was thrust onto wax for the first time, and she actually sounds like a pro on this track, man. She sounds amazing. The track was recorded around 1983. It predates so much of what we've spoken about on this podcast, because Roxanne's Revenge dropped 1984 as well. So both Queen's MCs, both entirely different performances, but both some of the earliest examples of solo female MCs achieving mainstream success. Now, Sweet Tea just swaggered onto the track and knocked it out of the park, and it also afforded her the chance to tour. And the parallels with Shantae are very interesting here, because we know after Roxanne's Revenge dropped, Shantae was taken around the country and asked to battle rap people who she'd never met in her entire life. And Shantae says she was cheated out of money, and well, she felt she was, and that the experience really ruined the music industry for her, eventually leading to her decision to leave it completely. Sweet Tea's experience is vastly different. She doesn't disclose her age on this tour, but she says that Davey D was pivotal in her development as an artist and a person. He wouldn't allow her to sneak out and party every night. And she said whilst it made her hate him at the time, she came to realize he was doing the best thing for her. And she actually credits a large part of her success to his protection from these elements, which is the exact opposite experience that Shantae had. As Sweet Tea told an interviewer, by that time I was out in the parks doing things all over Queens. I was always on a mic somewhere that was already in play. Davey DMX was my first little break. Going on the road with him, he showed me how a lady is supposed to act on the road. Remember, this is 1983, by the way, when we're talking about these stuff. Like, you know, it's different, very different time. And while Shantae's major label debut was never in doubt, although it was inexplicably held up by a solid five years, Sweet Tea's experience on the tour and the protection of Davey D was not her direct route to a recording contract. She actually said after the tour ended, Davey D released her from any contractual obligations and invited her to go out and do whatever she wanted to do. And she told an interviewer, I did a couple of songs with Davey, and then Davey was on the road doing different things. He DJed, he'd been with Run DMC. At some point, it was like that run with that record was over, so we weren't assigned group. He gave me my blessings to do what I wanted to do. So she's quick to point out she didn't just happen upon the legendary Hervey, Lugbub, um, Hervey Love Bug. Apologies. That was more of a tongue twist than I anticipated. Um, she didn't just happen upon him uh, immediately. She actually went back out in into the independence of working for herself. Um, she started putting things in action, performing, networking, attempting to spark her next big break. By the time she met Hervey Lovebug in a club one night, he already knew her. He'd seen her perform multiple times. And the way that she describes the meeting, it felt like kind of like a formality that they had to get out of the way before they started working together. Now, Sweet Tea told an interviewer, she went home super excited after they met and opened up her notebook 
started writing poetry and humming melodies. And that night, she actually called Herbie's phone and left a bunch of song ideas on his answering machine. The very next day, he dropped by to pick her up and they recorded It's My Beat, which is her breakthrough track that very day. So, you know, within 24 hours of meeting. Now, Sweet Tea now had a demo, but she wasn't signed to a label yet. Now, the story of how she got signed is, is quite odd, but it's fascinating. She told an interview with this. She said, once It's My Beat was recorded, Herbie was dealing with Dana Dane and he played a part in me getting my record deal. There was a recording studio called Bayside that I recorded in with David D. And I specifically asked Herbie if we could record our music there. And so he took me there. I got cool with owner Dave Ng and Herbie started gravitating the whole team to that studio. Dana was at a different recording studio in Manhattan. He wanted to move, but he had to get permission from Profile Records. Herbie took my recording to Profile Records to let them hear the clarity of the sound. And they were like, cool, but who is that rapping? Herbie just came home with some paperwork. Profile Records offered me a record deal. So there was no, she said, there was no process, no shopping. It just all fell into place. Now that's serendipity, but I do think it's a product of Sweet Tea's energy because she was enjoying herself. Like you could feel the fun she was having come out through her music. She was also fiercely driven towards this career. She's quick to point out in interviews how hard she was working around this time to push forward with the rap industry. Um, Hervey Lovebug opened the door and she bounded through it. And it wasn't just music she was learning. She credits Herbie for showing her how the business works. She told an interviewer, Herbie was business-minded and he was talented at the same time. He was very intuitive. He made moves. He was in front of a lot of people, talking to people. No disrespect to New York, but he always said, I'm not making music particularly for New York, so stop with all of those records. It's cool to have some of that, but I want to be out there. He might have been one of the first people to think that way. This is where we need to be. Make records that are going to appeal to the rest of the country. He was very calculated in everything he was doing. This is obviously something she shares with Shantae. The figures around her were fully aware of the importance of the rest of America when they first took her on tour and went around the country. I think that's reflected in the commercial success of her debut album. Um, it charts number 169 on the Billboard 200, which is really impressive for an artist who hadn't impacted the Billboard charts at all thus far. But more than that, her singles were charting in the UK. It's My Beat went number 98. I got the feeling and it's like that y'all made it to number 31. Uh, Let's Dance went number 79 in the UK. Um, back home, she was charting in three separate charts, US Dance, US R&B, and US Rap. And the global approach that Herbie tried to instill in Sweet Tea was being taken to its full extent. And she was not just charting America-wide, but worldwide, which is pretty epic for a brand new artist. Um, and yeah, we can talk about her debut album, It's Tea Time. Yes, we can. We, do, we indeed can. Um, so yeah, I do think the... Um the fact that she did uh, end up on the charts um, in the US is not, I think that needs to be emphasized and that's definitely not anything to sneeze at as a, as a genuine achievement, especially considering that it was her first and only album and there wasn't really much, I'd say, you know, uh, I'd say national attention uh, by the time. Um, so, you know, getting in the 200 is pretty solid. Um, on the smooth tip, as a single, mm-hmm. reached the 36 on the US R&B as well, um, which is pretty decent in my eyes. Can, well, it's not R&B, but Billboard. Um, we'll chalk that up. Uh, but yeah, you know, overall, uh, the album is, you know, it's funny because um, uh, we'll talk, is, I was... I obviously had to, right? Well, not had to, but I obviously did this, right? Where I was just like, 
listening to this and it was conveniently, you know, released a you know, similar time uh as Miss Melody's record like that we talked about. And obviously we were talking about other records last episode that dropped in that year as well, nineteen ninety nine. And uh I feel this is probably uh more <sighs> what's the word? Uh especially production wise I would say, uh more egregiously um dated than how we talked about uh Miss Melody's Diva. Um yeah, I feel, you know, Herbie <laughs> when I saw Herbie Lovebug's name, I was like, Fuck, here we go. Here we fucking go. I was <laughs> I was I was just I had a feeling. I had a feeling it was just like it was, okay, what's 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 he got what's he got hand in here? Um and he does. He produces um he produces pretty much every track, um, along with uh the Invincibles, um and Sweetie once on the back end as well. Um and also written as well, which always makes me excuse me that excuse me, makes me want to question. Makes me want to question shit. Um as to how much uh input he had on there. Um but you know considering the uh the success he had with Salt and Pepper, I'm not surprised um that he had such a heavy hand in the majority of this album and how it was uh and how it was created. Um on Sweet T's side, um I feel the lyrics are pretty fine, solids. Um wouldn't say there's much that I would um there wasn't much that uh lyrically in terms of just what words were said excited me too much. Um she has some energetic flows throughout which I appreciate. Um but yeah, I don't know. Lyrically it's fine. It's okay. It's nothing to write home about. I mean I enjoyed on the smooth tip and I'm reading it and you know it's cool, right? Uh, don't need no help all by myself. I proceed because you need to enjoy uh, enjoy yourself. Try to compare. Oh, don't you dare because I'm sweeter than the cream in a French eclair. Smoother than the ice in a skating rink. Have I forgotten anything? Mm, let me think. Oh, yes, I'll take a pen. Draw you all in a line. You'll find that I'm a lyrical mastermind. It's cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. It's cool. It's fine. It's not anything uh, that would make you go, Whoa! You know, it just it's it's not it's not much uh there's not much to layer into it um in my mind. Now the end track right threw me for a loop. I will say the last uh last track quite after me threw me for a freaking loop because it was just a straight up R and B track, and I don't know whether um that's her doing the mini Ripperton impression at the end of it but if that's her I feel like we've not gotten the best of what Sweetie could have brought because if she had if she was doing oh. that because that was a decent track at the end of it like that, that was a that, that, R, that R&B track was hitting that was a that was a good R&B track as R&B tracks go okay and if that and if she's and if she's got um pipes like that, yeah, I feel like there was a misstep here. <laughs> there was a there could have been a 
uh, a genuine uh, genre dual threat here. And we got a majority of, obviously, hip-hop, which is fine. This is a hip-hop podcast, after all. I'm not complaining. But that's a really good hip-hop. That's a really good R&B track at the end, man. That's a really good R&B track. And I was just thinking, as I, as it finished, I was just like, so... So, so, so that was literally the one of that was literally one of if not the best track on the album, and I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. I I just I just feel, and I, I don't know if this is whether just um the fact this is you know the one album or whatever. That's definitely part of my thinking here. Um, but you know, I just feel for what we got which was you know time wise under 40 minutes it's fine but you know it's it's it's, it's fine it's not it's just one album right of 40 minutes you know i usually complain about you know albums being so damn long but you know retrospectively in this case i feel the opposite <laughs> i feel like there could have been uh more here um and I was kind of left one in at the end, especially after that last track. I was just like, oh, we could have had, yeah, I, my mind started racing. I was just like, oh, we could have had full on just 50-50 here and it would have probably hit regardless. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's an album that left me one in, I'll say, overall. I actually feel like this is like the quintessential 1980s hip hop, like, it's just it, it's it's got everything. Oh yeah, yeah. If you yeah, if, if you yeah, it's 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 got a nineteen eighties like, written all over it. If you it, yeah, if definitely. you said, hey, tell me what the nineteen eighties sounded like in hip hop, you could do a lot worse than showing them it's tea time. You know, like it's just straight up. Um, you know, firstly the very simplistic rhyme schemes and lyrical content. It's almost comical at times. She opens the album by rapping smoother than the ice in a skating rink. Have I forgotten anything? Hmm. Let me think. Or yes, I take a pen, draw you all in line. You'll find that I'm a lyrical mastermind. And then on the same song she raps, give your hips a ride, give your feet some slide, and do what you feel inside, you know. It's easy to do if the beat is hip, dancing and swinging. If the needle don't skip, straight to the dance floor, run, don't walk, move to the groove, let your body talk. Like, it's just straight up 1980s, man. I love it so much. This is that <laughs> glorious second person. It's, it's like the... Uh... Is, have you seen that clip where uh, Hannibal Burris try uh, makes like classic hip hop with on the T on his no, podcast? Did you like that? I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. It's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's literally so like good, man. This <laughs> is a seven, second person person perspective. Like, there's so much of that in '80s, like telling people what to do, telling them to go dance, telling them to move their feet. Um, and her confidence is wild. You know, it kind of turns these bars from cringe to acceptable simply through sheer force of will. On Let's Dance, she opens her verse with, put the needle to my record, step back and watch it go. You want to hear if it's good? Huh, now you know. I want you to observe the way I sound. Say every noun, every verb. I'm superb, word to herb. Busting a rap while your feet tap. On time with my rhymes while my DJ rocks the scratch. Like, it's so good, man. Like, all I could think of while listening to this album for the first time was, this is what MC was at the genesis of hip hop. The MC was the hype person. They get up and hype the crowd up, and hype their DJ up, and hype the producer up. 
and constantly Sweet Tea is bigging up her DJ and her producer and obviously extolling the virtues of her own ability on the microphone and just imploring the crowd to match her energy and let their inhibitions drop away and just dance and cut loose and enjoy themselves. Um, and I think it's a very enjoyable album. Like, I enjoyed it. It's it's fun. It's danceable. Um, you know, there's obviously forays into dance music, like Workout and Let's Dance. And then there's iconic samples, like Show and Prove, um, which utilizes the same sample as Nas's much maligned song, Nostradamus. When I first heard that song, I'm like, fuck, I know that's, that sample. Like, where's it been used before? And yeah, Nostradamus uses it. Um, but then on the final track, Why Did It Have To Be Me, which is a straight-up storytelling opus, and I actually feel like Herbie Lovebug, like, this is just, I mean, it's 1988. It kind of feels like 1986, maybe, 1985, maybe not 1988, but... I mean, that was the recording, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, recording years? Yeah, of course. 86 so, to 88, yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh, 86, but um, no, I enjoyed it. It was just fun, man, like, just bouncing and dance and energy and... Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, even though it's uh, it's quite simplistic at times. But I do think it has every element that a hip hop album had, like just in that oh, yeah. in that time period, like that and, and a couple of LL albums. Like those are the albums you would say to people, <laughs> "This is a 1980s hip hop album," you know, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not it's not for the it's it's got nice energy to it, um, you know. I will say so. It's not it's not like. Um, it's not like I consider it like not worth listening or anything like that, but it's just it, it's 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 the same issue that I've had with a few um, uh, hip hop albums in the eighties, especially, um, and and some and some in and it moves into the uh, early nineties uh, for some as well. Um, I've sent you the video. Please watch as I talk, um, but. <laughs> it's literally thirty seconds, not too long. Um, but there's just some there's there's, there's some that just I I don't know, kinda just uh get left very quickly in the evolution. And it's no it's, it's I don't think it's any fault of them, right? Like it's hard to it's hard to be innovative. That's why there aren't many innovators, right? <laughs> um you know, is a minor tangent. Uh, uh, Dick Fosbury, um, R.I.P. Just recently, um, you know, literally changed the game on high jump. Like the concept of high jump as a Olympic sport, as an athletic, uh, as an athletic activity, he literally changed the game by instead of jumping forwards or trying to jump over. He just threw his back into it, and now everybody does it. You know, you can't innovate running, in my mind anyway. You probably, yeah, you know, you, you can't innovate putting one foot in front of the other. And when it comes to music, and especially this time in hip hop, it's so. It 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 must come off as a minor disappointment, I guess. Uh, overall, to just uh, have something, and then at the same year, three feet high and rising drops. It it has to it has to feel a bit weird, right? That you're listening to that you you you're making something that you know is like Ben said, quintessentially eighties, 
But this is 1989, geez. We're about to hop into the new decade. We got some new shit coming in. People are trying shit. People are switching shit up. And, you know, and you have something where the production is just fine. It's passable. Gets the job done. It sets the stage. It sets a okay foundation. And that's all it is. And, you know, I I can't expect every album to be, you know, groundbreaking. Of course not. Um, But I do wonder uh, whether um, Sweetie or or Herbie um, uh, actually feels that way. Uh, in my in how I'm thinking about it, like in, I'm putting, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, I guess. Where it's just like, oh, okay, we we could have we could have um, you know done something maybe a little bit different. We could have I don't know you know something right. And this is the guy who brought out Salt and Pepper. Like I'm not, I don't think I don't think this is out of his realm of you know creating something. And, and that may be it. That may be the steez where he was good maybe better at, you know, finding talent. Found Sweet Tea, found Salt Pepper, found Kid and Play. That's a solid three right there. Dana Dane. Uh, there's another one I'm forgetting. So, you know, decent talent <laughs> evaluator, right? Decent scout. Um, okay production. And, you know, take take that as a dub and walk off, I guess, if if, if that's the case. Um, but, yeah, I just, I just always... Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of just putting into detail why I felt kind of um, left wanting because at a at a very similar time, you know, Teddy Riley was doing his thing and was bringing out Nat New Jack Swing, right? I would have Sweetie would have been sick on some heavy D and the boys kind of shit, you know what I mean? Like she could have done she could have done that. I feel something like that, and this is all in hindsight, of course. So you know, pinch of salt, all that. But it's, it's something that just comes to mind for me personally whenever I listen to something such as this. I think it's um it's something that we attach a lot of like I don't know positivity to the the way that hip hop was progressing in the eighties. But oh yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Like it's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, no. But there's there's definitely something to be said for an album that just sounds like popular albums. Like that's what they were. That was the sound at the time. You know, I right. feel like in hindsight, right. it's easier for us to look back and be like. Oh, this yeah. album just sounds like everything else. Yeah, it's picking not, out albums that changed the game. Yeah, it's not three feet changed. high and rising. It's not people's instinctive travels. It's not you know, uh, all hail the queen. It's not like you know what I mean, because we're like, oh, it's not paid in full. It didn't. It didn't change the game. But like, it's like saying nowadays when we enjoy an album that still sounds like contemporary hip hop. It's like, but it's not changing the game. It's not pushing yeah. the thing. Like a like a West Side Boogie album, for example. Yes, like, it's solid. It's solid. Yeah. It's not groundbreaking, but it's solid. It's worth it. Is. Yeah. Like a little pump album, you know? It's solid. It's worth it. uh, <laughs> hey, man. If you don't, if got, if you, if people don't want to listen to, to Lil Pump, I fully nice understand. I fully understand. Nice I'm, I'm, I'm with you yeah, on that. Nice that's try. okay. Nice um, try. That's okay. Yeah. Good attempt. But yeah, man, I think, uh, it, it, yeah, I... Herbie Lovebug, I, I quite enjoyed this album. When I was listening to it, I was like, oh, shit, he laced her. But again, it's because I do like this kind of stuff. Like, it's just fun. It's it's a bop, you know, lyrically. It's just nothing to worry about. Um, but is it disappointing? It is disappointing, as you say, that we didn't get anything more because Sweet Tea did not disappear. 
Um, she actually wouldn't really surface again as a solo artist until 1995. And she actually changed her name. So she changed her name to Sugar. And she wanted to continue dropping music, but she felt like expanding the universe of Sweet Tea and adding a different perspective. She actually explained her choice to an interviewer. She just said, people were being judgmental of the old school. She simply said that. It's so ironic that now that's what we're talking about here. Because that's the reason why she wasn't putting music out under Sweet Tea. It's the reason why she tried to change her name to Sugar. And she said she felt hampered by the fact her debut album was seven years old. And we already know that by the time it came out, it was already probably two or three years old. So that's nearly a decade old in 1995. Um, And if you think about it, if someone dropped a really wild debut album in 2016 and they came back around in 2023, would you consider them a member of the old school? Uh, Probably not at the moment. But hip-hop was moving so quickly between her debut album and Sugar in 95. Every year, the sound was progressing rapidly. Sweet Tea trying to come back out in 95. 94, we'd gotten ready to die in Illmatic. You know, 1988 (laughs) probably did feel like the old school. So... Jesus Christ. Yeah, so Sweet Sweet Tea was around Jam Master J at the time, rest in peace. And he decided to test the waters at Def Jam by presenting Russell Simmons with his new artist called Sugar. At the first meeting, Sweet Tea revealed herself and Russell signed her, but Sugar did not really stick. And Sweet Tea actually said this about why. She, she said, We did Sugar, but with the fans, it didn't work. I went on the road, people looked at the picture, all the giveaway pictures, and people would say, Can you please sign my picture, Sweet Tea? There's a whole load of people who were Sweet Tea fans, so I wasn't signing a lot of pictures as Sugar. Even though they accepted the song and were happy to see me, they identified me more with Sweet Tea. So henceforth, that's why I'm back. The deal with Jay, of course, he ended up separating from Def Jam and I ended up severing from the whole thing. For the whole experience, I was like, let me stop playing with my fans. So she even told the same interviewer that she really liked the idea of Sugar, but since it annoyed the fans, it kind of had to go, which is a pity because it's hardly uncommon for artists to drop music under different names or pseudonyms, like RZA did it, Doom, uh, Young Lean did it recently. It's very commonplace, very, very commonplace, and it's sad that she had to give it away and that was kind of it from Sweet Tea Musically until very recently. She told an interviewer she's always doing shows. She's always engaging in hip hop. Um, she ended up back to school to study and has since become the assistant director of a drug rehabilitation program. She said this about it. She said, when you're around that kind of energy and spirit, educating people that didn't work in that, that work in that field, it gives you encouragement like you need a degree. So that kind of like prompted her to go back to school. And, you know, she teases new music in various interviews without ever really dropping anything, um, hasn't come yet. So she said that she's always in the studio, she's always working. She said she's been working with Freddie Fox. So I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but yeah, we didn't get anything else since the debut album in 1988, um, which is very interesting. And I don't think it's because the album wasn't successful. I don't know, maybe it just didn't make sense. There's there's very little information about why she stopped recording after 1988. so yeah, that's just kind of another one of those 1980s single albums that yeah, it's very interesting. And I I'm I'm thinking about it now, and and that quote you mentioned that kind of um led to the irony of what we were talking about previous just before that, and while I was talking about it especially, like maybe that was a thing, maybe that was a genuine. Uh, issue in how hip-hop began because in the 90s the reason why the 90s is so pivotal 
in hip hop history wasn't just because of the innovation sonically, lyrically, pretty much in every freaking way. The other way in that was commodify commodifying and capitalism, basically, right? And business and big business getting into it, right? And sticking their jaws into it, right? And maybe that was a there was a moment, right? Maybe the whole decade was one big moment of get on the ride or uh yeah we're gonna we're a certain amount of people are going to you know decide whether um some of these artists in the 80s regardless of their intentions regardless of their passion good faith talent even um some of them are just going to be left at the door as hip-hop as a um as a business especially skyrockets and I do wonder whether there's any when is whether there's any more depth in that in what she mentioned uh in how she tried to reinvent how she tried to uh change for whatever reason um and got left at the door in some ways maybe who knows um, that's just a hypothesis I'm coming up with. That's the conspiracy theory I'm putting my tinfoil hat on for. Um, and it may be right, but not for her. But I don't know. Maybe there was just a, not even a conscious decision, but just subconsciously money just started flowing in. And if you weren't innovating and if you weren't punching in some good shit, uh, you know, if you, if, <laughs> You can't be you can't be out. You can't be out a few years, right? That was the start of, uh, I mean, for hip hop especially, that was the start of that you know rele- relevancy thing that we're constantly talking about now. Um, I saw that trailer for um, uh, that Louis Capaldi uh, documentary series he's, he's doing, um, and there was a bit where he was you know talking about the pressures of obviously being a um, being a star as he is at this point. And having that pressure of, or, or having the lack of pressure of of spending your whole life at that point, you know, building up to that first album and then having six to eight months to do the second one, right? And you know, I don't see, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Sweet Tea as that kind of vice where it's like she's putting her life story into the first album or anything. She just made a pipe record and you know succeeded in that. Um, so, you know, substance isn't the question here. Um, she had the energy and if she had the energy in 95, then shit, man, get some, get some production on there. We might have something. We never know. Um, and even now, right? Freddie Fox, that'd be cool. I'm, I'm, I'll be interested. Sign me up. <laughs> Give me, put me on the mailing list. I'll, I'll be interested in seeing what a 2023 sweet tea would be about. Um, will it just be hype still? Uh, or will there be something deeper? Who knows? Um, that leaves t- time will tell. But I ju- I'm just uh, that just caught me a little bit um, in terms of what she was talking about, and uh, I do wonder because um, you know, shit, man, how many '80s artists are, st- are still able even uh, to do it on an acceptable level, right? And I think the names are uh, well. Yeah, the names are 
I don't think there's many. KRS and obviously that's a drops, you know cool Keith still drops, but like you know yeah, it's not not many. LL is doing stuff. LL don't he's still dropping anymore, but yeah. I mean he um, he yeah. he didn't he record an album and then he scrapped it because he said it wasn't it wasn't any good. That's the man who put out authentic. So like <laughs> how must right. have been rubbish. <laughs> that that's, that's another that's a, yeah that's another thing right. So you know and obviously this is a case of. Uh, it's, it's been forty years since then, so but shit. Like, I can't. I can't expect uh, artists forty years ago to be um, to be still doing it. Um, but there's an availability to do so. I feel now. Literally, I'm going to see um, Patrice Russian on Tuesday, um, and she's been just still doing it. She's still doing it. It's great. It's great to see. Um, so yeah, I just I just always wonder where that that '90s point for her was a uh a kind of uh you haven't been you haven't been uh quote unquote relevant um so the opportunities are just a little bit lesser and you know all kudos to her for actually you know switching up and doing something different i literally have an interview drop in um on thursday and what's good um and the ice in question who i'm interviewing um does still does music but also you know works with children and does education and activism and stuff like that so you don't have to just do music obviously there's more to life than music um but you know i always wonder when if someone chooses to be just about the music are they able to that's that's sort of I guess hypothesizing that. I think in the eighties the reason we see a lot of this like one one album, one artist, um, is because it was very expensive to drop music in the eighties and hip hop was evolving. It's 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 different to now. Like, you know, labels want to sign people who make the same song that everyone else makes, you know, and and I listen as I say, I listen (laughs) to a lot of stuff in the the underground and by underground I don't necessarily mean that's a specific sound. I mean it's you know, people with less than maybe 20,000 monthly Spotify listeners. And it's just, a lot of it just sounds like popular stuff because that's what you got to do to get on these days. But in the eighties, I think it was a much different prospect, you know, to actually get a recording budget because, you know, very expensive in the eighties. You didn't just like download Fruity Loops and buy a $160 mic from JB Hi-Fi and you could become a recording artist. Like, you know, there were recording studios. It was tens of thousands of dollars to record music. Um, so they were taking punts on people who were, I guess, pushing it forward and, and had something maybe so slightly different to say. And I'm, a, I'm surprised because I think that the singles did really well. You know, they clearly charted really well. And I'm surprised that a label didn't throw more money behind her and say, like, maybe go out and find producers that you want to you want to work with, someone different. Maybe not Herbie Lovebug, but um, anyone you want to work with. And let's just create some, you know, pop rap pop dance kind of mashup but um it didn't happen unfortunately so that's all we get we, we get one album very um yeah it's very weird when that happens i'm always so curious when artists from the 80s drop music in the present day i'm always curious yeah. krs1 dropped a song the other yeah. day um actually krs1 and cool keith dropped a song it's like both dropped a song the same week it's always interesting to me so i'd always be interested to hear what sweet tea has to say for sure Certainly. All right. Oh, close. Leave it there. Got my 10 minutes. Ooh. 47 Can we get on to the hour? <laughs> Can we do it? What's this light not going to be? Um, <laughs> I don't really have a light. Well, I'll tell you what. No, I do have a lighter note. 
Um, oh, okay. Bro, Conte, what the... Like, that was just unexpected. Very unexpected. I did not expect... Did you hear what he had to say? Oh, okay. What? I thought you meant N'Golo Conte. I was like, yeah, he's on the bench, man. Yeah, it's good shout. Good shit, good shit. It's good to see him back. But, oh, no, it's okay. great to Antonio, see N'Golo yeah. Conte back. <laughs> Absolutely great to see him back. Tottenham, okay. Yes, yes no, yes. we're talking about... Ariel. We're talking about a team, you know, that's probably going to play... Is this the Richarlison thing? No. No, the Richarlison thing was okay. is is now old news. Conte came out after okay. the Southampton game, and absolutely eviscerated the club and the players. He called them selfish. He said that they don't want to play under pressure. They haven't won anything in twenty years because the club's being mismanaged. Um, There's a lot of players at the club he doesn't like. Uh, he pretty much made his position. <laughs> I mean, that's always been the case with him, really. Yeah, but like he never said it before, and now he's like, and and the way he said it, like he wasn't. He wasn't defeated and sitting there all sad and mopey. He was aggressive and angry and like, like visibly frustrated. And uh, yeah, it's, it's brutal, man. Like I, I am very shocked that he has said that, and I don't understand how he could possibly continue in the job. Um, it's funny. Uh, oh yeah, well it's not. It's done over. It's done after the season, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, you're not running this. I don't think he's running this back. Like no, he's 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 uh, he's he's on a he's on the farewell tour at this point. Like he's he's just uh, yeah, he's just he's just firing. He's just emptying the clip at this point. Um. <laughs> it's very intense. I guess he was. Just, I mean, is he wrong though? Mm, I mean, he, that's what I wanted to think of, like think about because. I don't think he's wrong, but at the same time, he does have to take some responsibility. Like, firstly, just on a basic level, you chose to come to Tottenham, Conte. You chose to come there. All those problems that you were talking about, you've just literally said they've been around for 20 years. You chose to come to Tottenham. You couldn't do what you wanted to do. You can't blame Tottenham for that. You have to say, hey, man, I fucked up. Like, I made a mistake. I, I thought I could do it, and I couldn't do it. And at the end of the day... Mourinho tried, Pochettino tried, Nuno tried, um, Ryan Mason tried a little bit. You know, what did you think that you were godlike and, and better than everyone else? Like, did you think that you were just a little bit more special than Mourinho, for example? Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like we knew this. We, we know this about the team. We know this about the players. We know this about the club. That's why we got Conte. Do you know what I mean? This is not new news. We know that this is how they play. We know they're terrible under pressure. They fold, they collapse. So we went away and we got someone who we thought would be able to fix it. And we all, as fans, thought that he knew what the situation was before he came into it. And he'd identified the fact that he could change it and fix it and like bring a fresh perspective and maybe help us win some silverware. And then we get to the end of it and he's just... It's almost like he's admitting he fucked up by coming to Tottenham because... Everyone already knew this information. This is not new information. So, I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, yeah, in some ways, I guess, yeah. I guess. It's like if Graham Potter just comes out now and he's just like, oh, the problem is Chelsea. It's, it's entirely Chelsea's fault. It's not my fault at all. I had no idea what I was walking Bro. into. I've, I've never even heard of Chelsea before. I've never... I Googled <laughs> them briefly before I took the job. But I walked into this club with... And it's their fault. In, you know what I mean? You're the manager. You're the, you're the one in charge of the performances on the field. You pick the teams. You like you know shape the transfers. You got Richarlison. You wanted Richarlison. We pay sixty m's for him. He's very expensive. You never play him. 
You never play him. Yeah. What do you want us to do? Like, you know, we've had three or four injuries and he's, he's criticizing the players that have come in for the injured players. You never play them. Pap Sar gave away a penalty in the final couple of minutes, which meant that the, the game got drawn. You never play Pap Sar. He's played like 20 minutes all year. What do you think's going to happen? If you don't play these players, yes, they're going to be very rusty when they come on because you're not playing them. Like, you know, come on now, bro. Like, you're the manager. Take, take a little bit of responsibility. It's, I think it's very harsh, to be honest. Yeah, and um, I don't think... Uh, I feel like he has this uh, kind of like... Uh, I don't know. I think he has a superiority complex here. He always well. has. I think that comes across here. He's just like... I've been doing this. Yeah, I've got medals, bro. He I've literally said that. He no, said, he "I've stuff. made yeah. teams win. Like I'm, I am in charge of winning teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I beat teams." And he said, "This team doesn't want to do that." He said, "They don't want to. So how can I do it with them if they don't want to?" Like, okay, bro, you got paid your twenty million for the season. What did you do? Nothing. Come fifth, like. That's got to be on you a little bit. Where's all the where's the humility? I don't get it. Yeah, is that not selfish maybe, as maybe well? Was, I mean, yeah. Or maybe it's just like a motivational tactic gone wrong. Well, it could be that too. Maybe because he ain't he ain't the he ain't the first manager or last or maybe last one to just like you know publicly flame his players and then you know trying to I guess expect a reaction. You know, I mean, towards it. it's like oh uh, oh oh we don't all right we'll show you we got we got you don't worry about it but. Stuff like that, but um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether that's proven him right or uh, or anything like that. But um, yeah, man. Oh, trouble in paradise. What a shame. Mm, I don't think it's because Tottenham has never been paradise. Never, yeah. ever. It is good. You got you got the joke then. That's good. It that's is good. so hard to watch Tottenham play. Holy shit! Geese, geese. Chelsea's gonna get. At least you can. At least you can uh, have two legs of watching oh. uh, Chelsea get absolutely, boot like absolutely creamed uh, by uh, Madrid in the next uh, whenever whenever the I fixtures mean, are. I mean, to be so fair, got, got those to look forward to. Madrid, like, uh, if Chelsea to. goes ahead, they're fucked because Madrid just like. They love going behind and just coming and coming Bro, back. Oh, oh yeah, they. Oh yeah, they do. Oh yeah, they do. But like the fact that Chelsea have played them in the CL for like the past, like, I think, four years now, it's just absurd. Like they always come up. Yeah. Couldn't have been Inter for the banter. Just the the, the Lukaku derby. That would have been yeah, funny as cool. shit. Lukaku coming on in the seventy eighth minute <laughs> to lumber around for twelve minutes. Bruv. That would be f- that would have been fucking hilarious, bro. That would have been amazing. The tweets would have been glorious, but now I just have to like actually watch Chelsea trying to attempt this. Like, bro, this is fucking absurd. And bro, you know they couldn't keep a f- they couldn't keep a lead yesterday. So you know it's against Everton teams. So bro, what is Everton wrong with teams. Chelsea? Teams. They're horrible, <laughs> bro. They flubbed. And then you funny you shit on Potter, right? That uh, his subs, that was the subs, bro. That was a sub issue, bro. Like he he, kept, he we had the foot on the gas and he was like, "All right, let me take let me let me let me bring on Conor Gallagher and uh Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Chalabar." It's like, "All right, Fofana Fofana got an injury after that, so fine. Yeah, sure, but I don't know. He just made so many changes all of a sudden at a kind of a point where it felt like, I don't know, didn't feel comfortable." 
But yeah, he just I don't know why he made those subs at that point. It was just a bit and it's not not, not that the players that you put on a crap or anything. I like I like I like me some Gallagher, I like me some RLC. But yeah, it just seems like an odd time to just change everything, change the whole dynamic up, formation, all that shit. It was just like seemed a bit fluid. Um acting like we had the dub like we're acting like we're three one up or something. It was just a bit silly. But um anyway, that's life. Graham Potter is like the living embodiment <laughs> of the agony of choice. It's just like got forty <laughs> internationals bro. sitting on his bench. He's like, which one do I choose? <laughs> Literally, bro. I've got, Literally, you know, two bro. billion dollars worth of players here. What what who do I choose? Literally. You know? Yeah, literally, bro. Literally. Spoil for choice. Spoil for choice. Um but yeah. Uh trying to think what I mean, I went to see uh Rye Lane uh on Friday, which is um, a solid film if you ever seen uh well it's just dropped, so you know, it probably hasn't even dropped most uh, most other places. But uh, if you like it, a good rom-com, um, based in South London, want to see proper ends, uh, go go give it a spin. There's some nice cameos in there, and uh, yes, it's it's fun. It's fun. I can't complain about it. It's, it's not it's not too not too shabby uh, of a of a nice uh, British British rom-com. Um, I read an article based um, kind of like based on it from a dude who lives in Peckham, and he was talking about the uh, I think his name's Richard Curtis effect, where like you know how Notting Hill came out in the nineties, and there's two there's there's two Britons, Ben. There's the people that think Notting Hill. When when you say Notting Hill, there's two Britons. There's the one that think of the film, and there's the ones that think of the carnival. Okay, um, you guess which one's the right one? Because, <laughs> uh, but now since Notting Hill, the film was so popular in the nineties, Notting Hill's gentrified the shit, and people were like. Oh, so if you're gonna do a film based in Peckham, Rye, and Brixton, is this gonna be just a nail in the coffin uh, for those places in terms of gentrification? And it was a, it's a genuine thing to think about. I'd like to see long-term effects of that, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if that's predicated on whether the film will be popular or anything. Um, if it like you know pops off um, and gets mad popularity like Nine Hill, um, if that's the, if that's what has to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see on that front. Mm. All right, we did it. Under an hour. Nice. Da, 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 da. What, what, do you want to guess what the last time we did that? Mm. I'm trying. I'm trying have an. I'm trying make an attempt to find it uh, in this last couple of minutes. I can't but even I think. See what the lo- the last time. Try and guess the last time. Well, we've got we the outro as well, so episode. this is gonna pump it over an hour. No, no, no. Doesn't I'm count. Not count. I'm not counting that. I'm not counting that. No, no, no. Uh, if it says 61 minutes, fine. Like, I'll live with it. But uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna give myself too much damage. Last time, um, under but yeah, an hour. Do we, we we have a minute. We have a minute left. Can we do one can of the early ones? One of the very early ones. I think early. You think under under 100? Oh yeah, like 100, under 100. Under, under Anything there? between 100 and now, it's gonna be over an hour. I reckon. Oh, found it. Found it. Oh, it, 56 minutes. Hip Hop Neighbours, Volume 1, Episode 144. 144. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there on the 5th In Podcast Network. it has been Digging Digits, under an hour for the first time in so many episodes. I'm in charge of the 5th I've been Carter Football Numbers. Raw Digger! Next week, to finish off with this history month. Uh, I mean, that's it. Hope you have a good week. We're sure we're trying to do the same. Until the next time, take it easy. It's a joke. All right, peace.
Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to short music. Philippines use. Socials for the Fulfillum, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and your music will be in the full show notes as well as names of projects for you to be listening. This has been the Fulfillum Podcast over production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next time. Still celebrating with us, history month on Digging Digits.